Well, thank you, Pastor Jordan and worship team, for leading us to behold our King, behold God, because that is what we're going to continue to do together this morning as we now turn our attention to some focused time in God's Word. And as we turn to God's Word this morning and spend a few moments together, I want to begin by asking you this question. I want you to consider the last week that you've had. Each of us knows our week. We know what happened at work this week. We know the conversations we had. We know what happened at home. We know how our conversations went with our spouses, our kids, our parents, our friends. We know the news that we didn't expect to get in the last seven days that we actually got. We know the celebrations that we've had in the last seven days. Think about this last, last week in your life. And then look ahead to what's next. What's coming up for you this week? We can't predict the future. We can't tell for certain what's going to happen. However, we have an idea of how our lives go. We have an idea of the patterns that we have in our lives, and we know, okay, work comes Monday morning, serving at the church Tuesday night, have to drop the kids off Thursday night at the hockey arena. Think about what might come for you this week. Think about the things that God might ask you to do in obedience to him. Consider the ways that God might ask you to fulfill the mission that he has assigned to you as a follower of his of making disciples. Think about all that's happened, all that could and will happen this week. And I want to ask you this. Let's see a show of hands. Who feels perfectly confident and courageous, full of excitement and hope for fulfilling the mission that God has assigned to you wherever that may lead. I'm encouraged to see some hands. However, if I'm honest, my hand is down here some weeks. And I think each of us, depending on the week that we've had, the week that we're going to have, we can identify with that, that God calls us to obedience to him. And there are moments in our lives <clears throat> that we would not describe as obedience. We would describe it as the complete opposite. We would say, this isn't courage and confidence about this. <clears throat> this, is, this is fear. This is hesitation. This is doubt. This is insecurity that I'm feeling. As the student ministries pastor at our church, I have the privilege of uh, one of the things that I get to do in my week is support our students when they are at school. The students who are leading the uh, Christian clubs at their school, I have the opportunity to go into a couple of the local high schools each week and support them in their leadership in the high schools. Which I have to say, and as a side, if we're talking about confidence and courage for the journey this morning, I want to encourage us as a church that there is great confidence and courage that he has gifted students in our midst to be bold for the gospel on the front lines that God has called them. But I have the opportunity <clears throat> to go in, and to be honest, they run everything. I get to be there just to cheer them on. And yet, I would be lying to you if I told you that every Thursday, every Friday, when I get out of the car in the parking lot and, and walk into the doors through the school hallways, passing students, passing teachers, passing administrators, passing the, the posters that are on the wall, I would be lying to you if I said that I was always 100% brimming over with confidence and courage. But instead, I feel those questions sometimes, too, of what if I don't know an answer that's asked of me? What if I don't know how to handle this situation? Maybe your lack of courage and confidence has to do with an area of temptation in your life. The way that, that the enemy loves to seem to try and attack you and, and you have had not great success in the past in dealing with this temptation, you've given yourself over to sinfulness, 
And the courage and confidence you're lacking today is, I don't know how I can obey God in this area of my life. We read texts like the whole book of Deuteronomy into Joshua where God continually tells his people, be strong and courageous. We get into the New Testament and we see that New Testament believers are filled with the, the power of God's spirit, the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. And yet there's this reality in our life where sometimes we feel that the truth that we know from God's word doesn't line up with the experience that we have. So what do we do in those moments of hesitation towards obedience? What do we do when we lack courage and confidence for the journey that God has assigned to us? Well, God's word has hope for us, and God's word today in Deuteronomy as we continue has hope for us. Because as we read through Deuteronomy, and we're going to be in Deuteronomy 3, verses 12 to 29 this morning, but we get to chapter 4, verse 1, and Moses Moses gives insight as to why he has been teaching and continues to teach the people, why he has been talking to the people in the way that he's been talking to them. And he lets us in on this insight in 4.1, and he says, so that, the reason I'm talking to you is so that you may go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God of your ancestors is giving to you. He's been teaching the people how to be confident and courageous for the mission that God had assigned to them. Now, you might hear that this morning and say, hold up a second, because God was pretty clear with the Israelites. You might say that God, he told them he was giving them the land. There was no reason to doubt. There was no reason to lack confidence or courage. I'm not like the Israelites. I have reason. But I want to challenge our thinking on this for a moment, because if we consider the place where the Israelites were, remember, this is the second group who had been given this mission. Remember, the first group had been assigned this mission of, of going and taking the land. And we see in the text that they doubted God. They lacked courage and confidence. This is these people's parents, aunts, uncles. Imagine that person in your life that you look up to and you find out they can't do something. What does that do for you? That hurts your courage and confidence. So now this is the second generation of Israelites looking at the generation before them who couldn't, who chose to not do what God had told them to. And now they're faced again with this command. Go into the land that I'm giving you. Moses' words speak hope for their hearts of how, we could, how they could have confidence for the journey. And Moses' words speak hope for our hearts and how we can have confidence for whatever mission that God has assigned to us. So if you have your Bibles, please flip open to Deuteronomy Three, and we're going to start in verse 12. Because there is hope in the word of God this morning for you and I. Moses says in verse 12, Of the land that we took over at that time, I gave the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory north of Aor by the Arnon Gorge, including half the hill country of Gilead together with its towns. The rest of Gilead and also all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. The whole region of Argob and Bashan used to be known as the land of the Rephites. Jair, a descender of Manasseh, took the whole region at Argob as far as the border, the border of the Geshurites and the Machathites. It was named after him so that to this day Bashan is called Havath Jair. And I gave Gilead to Machir. But to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave the territory extending from Gilead down to the Arnon Gorge. 
the middle of the gorge being the border, and out to the Jabbok River, which is the border of the Ammonites. Its western border was the Jordan and the Arabah, from Kinnereth to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. I commanded you at the time, the Lord your God has given you this land to take possession of it. But all of your able-bodied men, armed for battle, must cross over ahead of the other Israelites. However, your wives, your children, and your livestock, I know you have much livestock, may stay in the towns I have given you until the Lord gives rest to your fellow Israelites as he has to you. And they too have taken over the land that the Lord your God is giving them across the Jordan. After that, each of you may go back to the possession I have given you. At that time I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. At that time I pleaded with the Lord, Sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country in Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me, and he would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me any more about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes, since you are not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So we stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. I see four things that we're quickly going to look at together this morning in God's word that Moses highlights for the people Ways that looking back bolsters our confidence for the journey ahead, for the mission that God has assigned. Ways that looking back grows courage and confidence in us in those moments of hesitation, those moments of doubt, those moments of insecurity that we can actively engage our mind in through the renewing of our minds in God's word to look back so we may have bolstered confidence for what's ahead. The first thing I see is this, is that in verse 12 to 17, Moses reminds the people that past provision bolsters confidence for future provision. Right? Moses reminds people that past provision bolsters confidence for future provision. We see in verses 12 through 17, Moses reminds the people of the ways that God has provided before. He could have done this a number of ways. He could have talked about, remember your ancestor Noah? <clears throat> that big ark that he built, how God provided that? He could have referenced in Egypt when he gave the people relief and then ultimately rescue. He could have referenced the times when he fed them, <clears throat> when, he gave them when he gave them water in the wilderness. And yet in this specific portion of Moses speaking to them, he chooses to highlight one thing and he chooses to remind them of God's provision of land. And not just a general need met. He reminds them first of that, that there was need for land and God provided and met that need, but he also goes into specifics and reminds them of the specific ways that God had met their needs. In 12 through 17, we read through. The Reubenites had this land. The tribe of Manasseh had this land. The tribe of Jair had this land. He reminds the people that God doesn't only provide in a general sense for his people's needs, but he also is intimately and deeply involved in the intricacies of his people's lives. He cares about the specific needs that his people have, and he always 
meets them. You might say, God hasn't provided for me like that. I haven't seen that kind of provision in my life. And the reality of God's word, the truth of God's word for us is that the problem lies not in the provision, but rather it lies in our vision. It lies in our vision of the provider. And, and the same problem existed for the Israelites. So, so Mar- Moses helped sharpen their vision in two ways. He helped sharpen their, their distance vision and he helped sharpen their close-up vision. What I mean by that is Moses helped sharpen their distant vision by helping them see the big picture, helping them see we had a need of land and God provided. This need existed for our people and God provided land for his people. But then he zooms the camera lens in, he brings the focus up and he helps with their their close-up vision. He helps with the close-up vision for the Israelites and he says, remember how God provided the territory north of Aor by the Arnon Gorge? This text, it brings a lot of difficult to say names. And we can kind of be tempted to cruise through this like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet for them, these were memories. These were their homes. These were places where they remember God providing. This was their first little apartment that was, that was really too small to live in, but they made it work. This was the vehicle that they needed. This was the, the food that was required for them. These bring memories of the ways God had provided. And in our lives, when we're tempted to doubt God's provision in our life, like the Israelites, we need sharper vision. We need to sharpen our vision. We need to allow God to sharpen our vision to see the big picture needs, our distance vision. We're all sitting here today, so I would assume that we have breath in our lungs. God's provided that. We've been nourished enough with food and water to be sitting here. Maybe not the food and water that's our first pick, but he's provided. We're sitting here, so the Lord's provided a way for us to be here today, even if it was walking on our two feet. So we need to first sharpen our vision distance and see that, that God provides every second of our lives. But then we too need to sharpen our close-up vision and see the specific ways that God consistently and always meets needs in our lives. Not wants, not what we think we need, but what he knows we need. And then we need to remember, because how forgetful are we? We need to write these things down. We need to keep these things talked about in our families, like Moses is doing here for the people. We need to, to take pictures and save those pictures so we can look back and remember. I remember a, a, a major story in my own family's life is when Michelle and I found out we were first expecting uh, our first child, our son Noah. It was right near the beginning of COVID, and my wife was a supply teacher. And if you remember back at the very beginning when all the lockdowns, all the schools went immediately online. The reality was the demand for supply teachers went down because everyone was, was, was working from home. So we found out we were expecting and we were excited and we knew that was a gift from the Lord. But the question then became, as we looked at the Canadian government website and saw the requirement for mat leave was 600 hours worked, and doing the math of eight or nine months and including the summer and thinking we're not sure where this is going to go with the pandemic and the lockdowns, I remember Michelle and I sitting and praying together and saying, Lord, you've provided this life. We know you're going to provide So whether it's through mat leave, thank you. And if it's through some other way that we haven't seen yet, thank you for that too. 
So we prayed and we, we, we knew that while, while the things that were causing us some fear and some anxiousness and some worry were around us, we knew that we could trust in the Lord to provide. And that week, I had returned to the Canadian government website to check something and saw that because of the impact of the COVID pandemic, that they had dropped the required hours for mat leave from 600 hours to 120. And we are sitting there looking at the screen like, we can't believe it, like, I can't believe the Lord has provided in this way. And yet to show us even his greater power and strength within that same week, the Lord provided the opportunity for Michelle to have a long-term supply placement that would blow the 120 hours out of the water. And we sat there in that moment and we had a choice to make that all of us have a choice to make in these moments of, am I going to say, wow, that worked out really well, close one? Or am I going to see that was the hand of the Lord? Because often the problem lies, we're too quick to jump to coincidence and far too slow to credit that everything in this world comes directly from the hand of the Lord. So I want to ask, what are your stories? What is, what is your Gilead in Bashan, the kingdom of Og? What has God provided for you? How can you sharpen with your close-up and distance vision to better see God's past provision to be more confident in his future provision along the journey. In those moments of doubt, insecurity, worry, how quick are we to look back at how God has provided so our confidence can be bolstered for future provision? But there's a second thing. The second thing I see is in verses 18 to 20, and Moses reminds the people that it's not only past provision, but it's past direction that bolsters confidence for future direction. We see Moses begin to remind the people of the way that they had been commanded and God's perfect direction that had been provided in their life. And we see Moses remind them of a few things about God's perfect direction. Verse 18, we see he reminds the people that God gives specific direction. As we look, we see that he reminds the people that God had given them very specific things about the journey that they were about to take, the where, the when, the how, all your able-bodied men, armed for battle, cross ahead of the other Israelites. He reminds the people that God provides specific direction. In verse 19, he continues to remind the people that God provides caring direction. God provides for what might be a distraction to obedience so that his people can focus on obedience. In verse 19, Moses reminds the people how God promised to take care of their wives, their children, their livestock, the towns that they lived in, their livelihoods. And as a reminder of who's the protector, in verse 19, he says, they will all be safe in the towns that who has given them? That I have given you, that God has given them. Then in verse 20, we see that he reminds the people that God's direction is not only specific, it's not only caring, but it's victorious. Not victorious for our wants, not victorious for our pride, not victorious for our reputation, but always victorious for his glory. Verse 20, he reminds the people, it's not if the Lord gives rest to your fellow Israelites once you have the land, it's when. It's until, until that moment happens because that moment is a sure thing. How often when we lack confidence and courage on the journey that we're on with Christ, the mission that he has assigned to us, how often is it? Because we feel a little directionless. We feel like we lack direction. We feel like God hasn't given us the direction that we feel we need. And in those moments, 
there might be a couple things that are happening. If we, if we say, my life feels overly vague, when I think about what God's asking of me, I feel like God doesn't give me direction. I feel like God hasn't been clear on this. Two things might be happening. One, we might be focusing on the wrong thing. And two, we might not be going to the right places. Because God has been overly clear through his word. We're reminded in 2 Peter 1.3 that everything, we have everything we need for a life of godliness. So if that is true, why are there still questions of what school am I going to go to next year? Will I still be at where I'm working right now in five years? What will my marriage look like? What will my family look like? Will I have a family in five years? Will I be able to retire early? Is it too soon to leave my work? What am I supposed to do in this decision about where to live? And what we find out through God's word is the reason that we feel maybe a little unclear in direction is because we're focusing on the things that God doesn't make much of when we need to be focusing on the things that he does. Because the thing about God's direction is God is not concerned with future telling, but he is completely concerned with present living. He's not concerned with future telling, but he's completely concerned with present living. So in those moments of unclarity, we need to, we need to ask ourselves, are we focusing on the wrong thing? Am I being distracted from the mission that, that God has assigned to me because I'm over here worrying about this thing that's still important. God cares about your family. God cares about your marriage. God cares about your work. God cares about your school. God cares about all those things. But are we putting so much focus over here and what life will be like in five years and 10 years and 20 years? And yet the area that God wants to work on as a sin in this moment is the area of sinfulness in our hearts. The area that we're ignoring that he has been completely and overly clear on. So ask yourself, am I focusing on something that is distracting me from what God has been clear on and has assigned to me? When you're dealing with questions then of things that, that you need some godly wisdom on, have you sought the right places? Have you sought God's word? Have you sought God through prayer? Have you sought godly counsel in your life? Because the promise here is that God has given direction for everything we need for a life of godliness. So are we focusing on the wrong thing, neglecting the thing that God has for us? Third, Moses goes on and he reminds the people that past leadership bolsters confidence for future leadership. You might think direction, leadership, those two things kind of feel like they're pretty close. What's the difference between those two things? From what I see, direction lies in what's given to do. Leadership lies within who's given it to do. Where direction lies with what's given to do, and God has been overly clear on what he gives us to do, leadership lies with who's given the task. And Moses reminds the people that God always provides leadership. Really, this whole text is about provision. His provision in every way, his provision in direction, his provision now in leadership. And he reminds the people that God provides earthly leadership, first of all, verse 21, he reminds people that Moses lead, led, Joshua was about to lead, and then even references those two kings we talked about last week, giving insight that God is even powerful over earthly leaders. And then in 22, we really see the, the pinnacle of, of leadership in this. Because Moses reminds the people that while God provides earthly leadership, he gives himself as perfect leadership. 
He reminds the people that while you're gonna, you've been following me, you're going to follow Joshua. We follow God. The people needed this reminder, and I think we need this reminder. How does it impact you when, when a leader fails, when an earthly leader disappoints you? What does that do to you? For me, there's a voice of doubt wanting to creep in of the mission that that leader was leading me to. When an earthly leader fails, when a boss at work does something that you're not okay with, when someone in your life who is, you've been following does something, that prompts us, it causes us to question not only their ability to lead, but it actually will prompt us to question what they were leading us to. And this is why this reminder is so important for those of us who lack courage and confidence sometimes along the journey. Because earthly leaders will fail. Earthly leaders will disappoint us. The Lord has provided leaders outside the church. He's over them. And he has provided leaders in the church. He provides pastors. He provides deacons. He provides lay leaders. Many of, many of you who have leadership roles in the way that you serve in our church, God provides earthly leaders. More than ever now, we have access to, to leaders all around the world so easily. And yet we must be so careful that we never hitch our wagon to, to an earthly leader before we first of all acknowledge that it is God who we follow. It is God who we follow first and foremost because he will never fail us. If we follow God, there will never be that moment of questioning, maybe I shouldn't have followed them. If we follow God, there will never be that moment of realizing that there has been failure. If we follow God, we will always be confident in the one who leads because the one who leads is perfect. So let me ask, when you're distracted by the flaws of earthly leaders, do we forget about the perfection of our heavenly leader? In those moments of doubting, the confidence and courage that we should have for the mission ahead, are we tempted to look to the left, the right, and be distracted by the imperfections, even the oddities of earthly leaders around us? Keep your eyes fixed on the perfect leader, the perfect ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he will never fail. And looking back at how he has led will bolster our confidence for the future of how he will continue to lead. Finally, the last thing I see that Moses brings out is that past grace bolsters confidence for future grace. Past grace bolsters confidence for future grace. Moses lets us into a little conversation that he's had with the Lord in verses 23 to 29. You know, Moses is described by God's word as a good leader, right? Multiple times in God's word, Moses is referred to as someone who is a good leader for God's people. But the reality was is he wasn't God, so he wasn't perfect, and he did make mistakes. And under the intensity of leading God's people, the Israelites, who were always complaining, always grumbling, always, always doubting God, in that intensity, God, or Moses chose, Moses chose to rebel against God, circumventing God's plan, trying to take the place of God, running ahead of God, trying to run ahead of God. And there were consequences for his rebellion. There were consequences for his sinfulness. And the consequence for Moses was that he too would not be able to enter the promised land. We see him look back at this conversation he had with God. 
And we're not really sure if, if he's come around yet or not, because when he recounts the conversation, he says to the Lord that his problem was the Israelites, not his own sinfulness. And as he recounts this, it's not totally clear if he's come around on that yet or not. But what is clear is even in the face of Moses talking to God, expressing his disappointment, his disagreement, his frustration with the consequence that God had assigned to him, God chooses to extend grace. And he says, Moses, your consequence stands. You're not entering the promised land. But what you can do is go up on that mountain, go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes. And we see this moment of mercy, even in this bigger moment of failure on the part of Moses, of how God is gracious. God says, Moses, take those sinful eyes and gaze upon that land that I've promised. God's gracious to you and I. In God's goodness, he says, he allows these sinful eyes to gaze upon Calvary where our Savior was lifted up and see Christ crucified. In God's mercy, he allows these sinful minds to marvel at the awesomeness and incredibleness of the bodily resurrection of Christ through which the power of sin and death were defeated. Because of God's grace, he initiates heart surgery in the lives of his people, whereas Ezekiel describes that he, he removes the heart of stone, the dead hearts, and puts in a beating, active heart of flesh that is able to experience new spiritual life in Christ and give hope for an eternity with God forever. Moses said, or God said to Moses, those sinful eyes can look at the promised land. And God says to us, your sinful eyes, you can see Jesus. You might say past grace, boldest grace for future grace. It kind of sounds the opposite of what Paul said in Romans 6. Should I sin all the more so that grace may abound? Which was met with a resounding no. And it's met with a resounding no in this text as well. The future grace we're talking about is not future grace so that we can go on sinning. The future grace we're talking about is the kind of grace that allows us to have breath in our lungs and go to work and, and take care of our families and spend time with friends and disciple others. Grace isn't only for forgiveness of sins. Grace is required for anything we do in this life from God. And when we can look back at the way that God has been gracious to us, we can have our confidence and courage bolstered for obedience in him on the mission that God has assigned us to, that he will continue to extend that same grace to us as we aim to live obediently to him. What ways can you look back and see how God has been gracious to you? What ways can you look back and see how because of God's grace, he has multiplied your discipleship efforts? He has forgiven you of your sinfulness. He has never left you. He has never forsaked you. How can we look back so that we may have bolstered confidence in his continued grace to us as we journey along the mission that he has assigned to us? How can we look back and see that grace? In a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity to do that at the Lord's table as, as we come around. But as, as we finish out, I want to challenge us with this. How are we doing at looking back? How are we doing at sharing our stories with one another of God's provision in the past? We don't share to 
brag about ourselves because this has nothing to do with us. When we're in DC groups, are we quick to give an answer of, look what God did for me? Because that's a testimony to every other person in that group of the truth of the God who is working in this world. How quick are we to share these stories with one another? How quick are we to look back in our own lives? When that moment comes this week of news you didn't expect, when that moment comes this week where you're tempted, you think, I've given into this sinful way before. I'm going to give into it again, I think. When you have the opportunity to, to answer a question of a coworker about what you believe, when you have the opportunity to share the Lord with someone, in that moment, how good are we at taking our thoughts captive to look back, behold our God, behold his faithfulness to us, so that our courage and confidence can be bolstered so that we can walk confidently and courageously in what God has assigned to us. Are we feeling, after looking at God for the last 30 minutes, after setting our eyes on him for the last half an hour and really seeing how good and awesome he is and how he has worked in the past, are we feeling a little more confident and courageous than we did when we walked in here this morning? I hope so. I know, I know I am this week after spending time in God's word. And I pray that this week we would walk confidently, not in ourselves, but in him. Dear Lord, thank you that you have provided reason for us to be courageous and confident. Lord, thank you that you have given us a mission and that you equip us for that mission, that we have the power of your spirit in us. Lord, thank you that you promised to never leave us or forsake us. So I pray that we would become excellent at looking back to see your past provision, past direction, past leadership, past grace, so that we may have bolstered courage and confidence for the journey that you have personally assigned to each of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Proclaim with courage this week. As I was thinking through this text and praying and preparing for this morning, I was thinking, how exciting could this week look in all the homes represented in this room, all the workplaces represented in this room, all the schools represented in this room, if God's people walking courageously and confidently, not in their own ability, not in ourselves, but fully in he who is fully able, walking in obedience to him on the mission that he has assigned. How, how radically different will our own thoughts and hearts be this week as we confidently stand against sinfulness, confidently go forward on mission to make disciples in Christ's power through his spirit in you. So let's leave courageously and confidently today. If you have a situation where the confidence and courage is maybe a little up in the Lord, but the situation is still there, you want to pray through something, talk through something, please, there'll be pastors along the front uh, after the service. Talk and pray with one another. God's gift to you is each other, brothers and sisters, and him. 
So let's not leave today with unanswered questions, unanswered doubt, but let's leave confident in the one who is fully able. Lord, thank you that our confidence is in you and you have ultimately provided our greatest spiritual need through your son. Lord, thank you for Christ. Thank you that your mercy is more than anything that could ever try to get in the way of it. God, thank you for your faithfulness to provide in so many ways. May we look back this week as we go forward confident in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.